Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that it might be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, we continue our second installment in a special series as we unpack my book, A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. And so we've already begun the daily meditations in our own personal reading and prayer and meditation as Lent has already commenced with Ash Wednesday. And in these early days before the first Sunday of Lent, before we get into the themes, the first week, uh, and that episode will drop on Sunday, uh, the first theme we'll be talking about is examining your conscience and how Mary in these apparitions helps us to examine our consciences with her many different messages. But in those days leading up to the first Sunday of Lent, what I did in the book was really just talk a little bit about uh, Marian apparitions in general. I also looked at the fruits of Marian apparitions, how we evaluate them, and then an overview of all the apparitions that are included in the book. And so today I'm very happy to be joined uh, by Kevin Simmons, uh, who is really an expert in the church's teachings on private revelation. He has a MA degree in theological studies from Franciscan University and has written a number of books. He's written a book specifically on uh, private revelation called Refractions of Light, also another book looking at the private revelation of the Saint Michael prayer of Pope Leo XIII, and then also a book on the third secret of Fatima. I've known Kevin for a while, and of course, being a person who kind of lives in the Marian apparition world, uh, you get to know some of the people who walk the same walk and talk the same talk as you. And so probably in a close circle of mine, Kevin Simmons and Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter, and very happy to have Kevin on today to help us in this special season to unpack Marian apparition. So Kevin, thank you for your time and being with me today. Oh, no, thank you. It's a pleasure being with you. So as we talk about Mary and apparitions, of course, uh, our readers of my book, A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, probably know some of the more popular ones, Guadalupe, Lourdes, Fatima, Borang, Bono. Actually, I make Borang, Bono popular. They're not really that popular, but they're some of my favorite. And... Uh, but there are the lesser-known Marian apparitions, and so lots of people will be introduced for the very first time to uh, these sites where Mary has appeared. I guess maybe the first thing, why do you think Mary appears in different times and different places? Well, in the, at least with respect to the contemporary stuff from, say, about 1830 onward, various theologians have kind of come to the conclusion that it, there was a period that called the Age of Mary that was inaugurated around that time in 1830 with Our Lady's appearances in, uh, in Rue de Bac, France, with uh, to St. Catherine um, Labre. Labre, thank you. I threw my name from my head. Um, and uh, it also, some people also take it a little bit further back to a prophecy of St. Louis de Montfort from the 1700s, in which he talked about how there was going to be uh, like an increase in uh, like uh, Our Lady's importance and her role in, in the church and in the world uh, in, in, in the future. So I happen to subscribe to that theory myself. Um, but I, I think that a lot of it has to do with as gradually since about the time of the French Revolution in the West in Western civilization, people have been really going farther and farther away from God, and Our Lady has has come back to Earth every so often to do these appearances to call men back 
to to God to her son, and um, so it, it's it's a different theory, almost poetic even. But I, I think there's something to be said for it based upon what I've seen in my own research. So we have the visionaries. We have Juan Diego in Guadalupe. We have Saint Catherine Labre, Saint Bernadette. We have Jacinta and Francisco and Lucia. We have all these visionaries. And, you know, in some of these stories, even as we think about the champion Wisconsin apparition, Adele, she was walking along a trail and there she happens upon this mysterious woman in this apparition. And she doesn't talk to her until the very third apparition and where she speaks her message. Or Bernadette, she's out with her her siblings, collecting the the wood that they need. They're at the grotto of Masabiel, or what has become the grotto. And so she sees this beautiful woman. And I guess one of my questions is, what must it have been like for those visionaries? Now, of course, I don't expect you to know quite literally, but um, from your own experience, but scientifically, is there anything that we know about these apparitions of Our Lady? Or I know you wrote a book, Refractions of Light, and so maybe that kind of uh, hints at how they see Our Lady. Now, some of the apparitions are actually quite unique in that some of them, the the visionaries, the seers, they're kind of in, in a stand, in, they are in a trance-like state sometimes, like you couldn't interrupt them. Whereas in other apparitions, like in Champion, Adele, during the apparition, hears what her sister and friends say to her, or, and even in these apparitions in Cabejo and Rwanda, the visionaries danced around and all these things uh, while Our Lady was appearing. So, so it seems even in the state of apparitions that there are, are differences uh, between them all. So uh, I guess, what do we know about visions, how they occur, and so forth? Uh, well, the, actually, believe it or not, this discussion goes all the way back to the patristic era of the Church. Uh, if for us in the West— the first real person to tackle it head on was was Saint Augustine. He wrote different letters, and then he had a, a treatise that he had composed, worked on for a good chunk of his life uh, up to about the time he died, uh, called De Genesia Litera on the or on the literal meaning of Genesis. And he talks about uh, he, in that work, which was kind of the uh, the maturation of a lot of different things that he works on, like letters and ideas that he had hammered out over the years in his in his mind and uh, and in his writings. He, he talked about the threefold division of visions, uh, what we call today the like the bodily or or like the eyes, literally. Then there's what they call the imaginative, and then the intellective vision. So bodily would be like your eyes, your eye, like your eye, like you're looking at your computer or your phone or you know the world, the physical world around you. And then there's another type called imaginative, which is um, involves. We we say that we're imagination, but we, we have to be very careful. That has a very precise meaning theologically, especially in Aristotelian philosophy. There's a very specific meaning uh, for that, and. Um, it generally refers to those those ideas or the, those those concepts that are in the imagination. So, like from something that was in the physical world, and then the intellective vision is uh, is a type of vision where some understanding is communicated directly to the mind or the intellect of the of the visionary. So they don't see anything with the bodily eyes, but they just they just know it. It's something that's just communicated to them, and they just it's like 
as we would say in English, they just intuitively know it. And would um, that be something like an interlocution? Sometimes I hear this speak uh, in terms of marrying apparitions. A locution could either be imaginative or intellective, yes. Okay. Now, so we have all these apparitions, and, you know, it's very confusing sometimes because people ask, well, how many approved apparitions of Our Lady are there? And there have been some news stories out there that say, oh, there's 12 or 13 of them. And then, of course, we know that there are, are lots of other apparitions, too, kind of the lesser-known ones, maybe more regional ones, that necessarily don't enjoy uh, a, a grand approval or, uh, you know, pardon not knowing the, the precise language, but that at some level, at a local level, it's it's believed, but it's not necessarily been catapulted into uh, international or national spotlight, that it's it's more regional. So I guess for, for listeners, how many apparitions are really approved or how do we make sense of some of these minor apparitions that, that seem to be approved uh, at, at initial glance, but not included in the, the original number of 12 or 13 or whatever it is? Well, I think that number 12 or 13 or so, those tend to be the, the major ones that people would think of, which you've generally listed there, like Bodang, Beno, Fatima, Lourdes, uh, uh, Rue de Bac, Guadalupe. Pontme, um, Leilao, yes. Pontme, yeah. They, they, they tend to be the more, um, kind of because there are, a lot of them are caught up in that post-1830 age of Mary uh, mystique. Guadalupe kind of gets grandfathered in a little bit because we're here in the Americas and you know there's a lot of stuff especially with abortion and um, and the pro-life movement there but nevertheless oh and there's this big culture there in uh, in Hispanic uh, cult, you know culture there as well with with Guadalupe but um, it, it's there's no real mechanism that kind of says which one is major or minor strictly speaking there's no reaction to the process for it's just a lot of it by popular acclaim so the, the the lesser ones, so to speak, or the ones that aren't really mainstream, if you will, they – I don't know the exact number, but I do know that a Mariologist who recently died uh, – Rene Martin. Rene Lo- yep. He, um, he published a dictionary of apparitions in which he recounts, I think – it was in the thousands, I think – just little entries and just talks about the different appearances briefly, some maybe longer than others – um, and so if somebody wanted more of a precise number, I would have to point them to that book. Uh, I seem to recall he, that that the, book might be, is it just published in Italian or is it, did he publish it in his native language of French? It was originally published in French, but then there was an Italian edition that came out a little bit later and there were some updates and yeah. only the Italian text has that. So if you wanted a complete picture, you'd, you'd have to have both. Yeah. I can see the cover and the title of it in Italian in my mind. So Okay. Um, yeah, Rene Laurentin was one of the great believers in many Marian apparitions and could have been, you know, this is just my little commentary, could have been a little bit to his detriment. He, he sometimes readily accepted claims uh, immediately rather than giving a kind of a cautious uh, look at them. Uh, he promoted some kind of obscure and, and eventually even, you know, condemned or less favored apparitions and so forth. But uh, he did marvelous work, especially with Lourdes. Every year for February 11th, he would be in Lourdes um, for for the anniversary and uh, for their celebrations. Um, he, he wrote a, a, a beautiful book on, on Bernadette in her own words, really detailing all of 
um, Bernadette's life and, and messages and, and, and so forth. Now, these apparitions, uh, they get approved. So we just don't say, you know, like an apparition happens and, and we, we acclaim it to be true or believe it to be true. But uh, we do. But the church also goes through a process uh, from the 1978 norms uh, that were given. And so could you just speak a little bit about this process of approving Marian apparitions? Sure. Uh, you, you mentioned already pretty much the 1978 norms. Um, I was involved several years ago, oh gracious, I think it was about 10 years ago, but, but give or take now, uh, in releasing the one of, one of the first in Italian, not Italian, pardon me, Latin to English translations of that particular document. It had been issued in 1978 by the Holy See, but it had been done so privately and confidentially. So it wasn't actually like published like before 2012. You couldn't go on the Vatican's website, for instance, and read it. Um, but then the, the Holy See decided to publish it in 2012. And uh, it gives basically essential criteria that what they call positive, negative criteria. And oh, taken as a whole, the document is a reflection of the tradition that had grown up in the past 2,000 years over the, like what we find in Scripture uh, as well as tradition. It's not a comprehensive document. There are things, in fact, that, that, the, that the CDF left out, Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, that is. But um, like, for instance, like the Criterion of Miracles is not in the document. But yet that is a part of a legitimate part of the tradition. So, um, so upon the positive criteria, things like, are we seeing increase of virtue, prayer life uh, in the, the alleged visionaries, the, uh, the followers, the, I think the Latin term was the sacles there. Um, and uh, it just kind of, are they, are they psychologically healthy or are they pathological? Are they lying? Things like that are what was what the church looks for. But above all, the two things that I always stress is humility and obedience. Those are the two fundamental things that are at the heart of every single discernment on these matters. Is are they humble and are they obedient? I can't stress those two particular things enough. Yeah, and of course they look at the content of the message and making sure that's in keeping with the church's. Uh, 2,000-year teaching history. You, you know, there are some of these apparitions of Our Lady that have taken place. Uh, I'm thinking of one in Wisconsin that's condemned that they're really the message wasn't consonant with the long-term teaching tradition of the church. And, and really then the visionary, too, didn't live a life of virtue, kind of um, wasn't, as you said, humble or obedient, kind of even maybe a, a little out there psychologically. And so that's, these are all considerations that they give. Now, mm-hmm. uh, when, when we have an apparition of Our Lady, let's say tomorrow news breaks that Our Lady is appearing in some godforsaken place because she always appears out of the middle of nowhere, uh, in the middle of nowhere, that's so hard to get to. Like, even Knock, to this day, I drove to Knock, Ireland, and I'm just like, why does she appear in such a desolate place that you have to go on all these back roads to get to? But so she begins appearing somewhere. How should we approach those claims of apparition? Very cautiously. We should not be um, too quick to believe them, especially in our day and age where there's so many claims. If we ran after every single one of them, oh my goodness, 
the money that is spent, the time that is spent, it's it's just an absolute distraction. So um, that was actually one of the reasons why I decided to write my book, Refractions of Light, was because of the, the sheer proliferation of all these claims. I said, all right, I need to help people to develop a structure in their mind on so that when John Doe or or uh, or Jane Schmain comes up and says, "Hey, I have a, I'm having visions," and Mary wants to tell you something. Automatically, there should be like these presets in your in your brain, like you should be going through the Rolodex of your brain, going, "Okay, here's what I should be doing." You know, uh, or if you even just hear about it, it doesn't mean that we should just go running off. We do have obligations under the moral law, and, and as the church teaches us, to be very careful and to discern. Uh, like like what uh, Saint John says in his first letter in, in the scriptures about you know the discerning the spirits, you know we don't want to expose ourselves to even something that could be potentially harmful, and that's something that's kind of gotten lost in the past fifty sixty years or so. Is there any merit in the curious mind following the phenomena, maybe looking at the message and and if they seem if it seems to them like. This is something that is beneficial to my spiritual life until told otherwise by the church. Can they? Do you think that's okay to follow, or would you just stick to the approved apparitions? Well, this is moving into a kind of a, a more of a, a gray area because sometimes things just happen to us. We're not looking and seeking. You meant you specifically cited curiosity. You know, the, the curiosity can be a sin, and I know that nowadays with such media inundation we tend to think that you know just the click of a button we can consume all this we're a very consumerist culture but we have to kind of back away from that a little bit and sit, think no 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 no. this is not i don't need to know everything you know uh i'm not god i'm not omniscient um and i know if, speaking for myself i'm actually speaking from a place of, in my own life where it's like i've kind of come to realize this a little bit more deeply is that as much as i like to read and research and stuff it's also like nope sometimes you just need to pull back and kind of stick with stick with what you know, and you know, and as one popular expression goes, season season of prayer. So I, at this time, I would say I would make a distinction between when something just kind of happens to you, or it kind of comes to you, versus you spending money to go to one of these far out of the way places that hasn't been approved and may in fact be questionable. You know, because like people say, well. I'm free to do this because the church hasn't said otherwise, and it's like, well, but who's the authority to judge if the the merits you or the church, you know, who 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 would know better you you or the church? So it, it's it's perhaps under certain conditions it might be possible for somebody just to kind of look into something, uh, like for instance, I did that a few years ago. I heard uh, this was in 2014, I think. I had heard about an alleged visionary in this country, and this person had a website. I went and looked at the website. I clicked around and kind of got an initial profile, and I said, "Okay, nice person. I don't think there's anything, you know, supernatural going on here, but you know, and I think this is a dear person. But you know, basically, thanks, but no thanks." And then that was it. And then uh, about a year or so later, uh, someone contacted me asking me for information, and I got involved in that particular case um, on a more public level. But originally, I just kind of looked into it for myself because I kept hearing about it on the internet. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I looked into it. And, but not everybody uh, may be interested in it that way. Not everybody may have uh, the wherewithal. And I don't mean that insultingly. It's just, you know, just a simple fact. Some people might not 
know what the church teaches, and so they might just kind of be curious, and that can get into some really bad areas if they're not careful and don't take precautions. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate what you've shared about that. And I, I guess sometimes uh, I believe I believe that God and can send his mother Mary, can send the saints to communicate to, to some of these visionaries. Uh, but I, I would take the approach more often than not that if God does this and chooses to do it, that it's often more for a personal nature. And I don't think that it's always to be like how we've come to know Fatima or Lourdes, but that, that maybe if, if these people are really experiencing something mystical, well, it's meant for them and their spiritual lives and probably not necessarily to, to make a website and build a shrine and all of these things. So, um, yeah, I guess those are just kind of my my own musings on that. No, and I, you're, you're 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 correct, Father, because like that's one of the things, the aspects particularly about Fatima that I think we need to kind of recover. As much of a public uh, phenomenon as that was, the, the miracle of the sun and the other phenomena that that was experienced by the people that were there, we also have to understand that there were some private aspects to that that were intended only for the visionaries, uh, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco. You know, there were some things about that, and some work that I've done recently on Fathom has really helped me to appreciate that fact a little bit more. And so I think we need to really understand that private revelation is just that private. More often than not, it's intended for the individual as opposed to large groups, and that would involve, you know, the bishop and discerning, et cetera, et cetera. So my last question to you, and I think we kind of just – walked into the question uh, a little bit, but I'm open to being surprised. But uh, I was just wondering, out of the Marian apparitions that there are, which one is your favorite? Oh, I, just hands down, I'm just absolute devotee of Fatima. Just absolutely. like my, my work with private revelation is broader, but I've really come to appreciate on a deeper level Fatima. And a lot of my work recently has been, has been on that. What would you say is your, it, you know, there's probably a top five or ten list of the things you appreciate about Fatima, but if there's one thing you appreciate the most about Fatima that you would want to share with someone, what would it be? I'd say between the, the, it, the top of the list, it's it's the simplicity of it, but also the, prof- the profundity, the profoundness that's behind it. You know, I, I always go back to the scripture, the wise man speaks little, but when he does speak, it's very profound, or, or words to that effect. And when you study what Our Lady said at Fatima, it really highlights that scripture. And so much of the 20th century, of which I was born there, I was born in 1981, um, so much of the 20th century's history is understood through the simple words of Our Lady, all of the, the, the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions, the, you know, even the good parts, it all just comes down to what Our Lady had said, and it's put very, very simply. And so, I find it absolutely fascinating, you know. And then just you know, the devotion to the Immaculate Heart that she that she talked about, uh, and, and was was trying to to to, to begin, you know, to, to initiate in the church. Um, it, it, everything just all comes together to form a beautiful, beautiful picture that summarizes what the gospel is all about. And so I, I, I encourage people, really take time with Fatima. You know, don't just kind of gloss through and see it as this nice story of, you know, these kids and doing whatever. No, 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 no. There's a lot more. It was an explosion of the supernatural in our world. And we're still, 102, 103 years later, we're still picking up the pieces. 
So I'd say those are among the top things in my list there for Fatima. Yeah, you said something very uh, profound there about Fatima encompassing the gospel message. And and uh, I've just been on this crazy book tour that's taken me on planes to different places, but also just on the phone with different radio stations and podcasts and doing all this stuff uh, for a Lenten journey with Mother Mary. And that's the one thing that I always uh, emphasize in all of these interviews I've done, that really these apparitions uh, echo the gospel, that they um, there's nothing new there and there shouldn't be anything new, that it should always direct us back to who Jesus is and his teaching and really renew that gospel message. So, uh, Kevin, thanks so much for sharing about private revelation from your own study, from your own experiences. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Kevin, you can do so by checking out his website, Kevin Simmons. Simmons is spelled S-Y-M-O-N-D-S dot com. So kevinsimmons.com. You can check out his book, learn more about the third secret of Fatima. Uh, we'll have to have you back to talk more about Fatima and to talk about that third secret. But you can get his book on the third secret of Fatima or his book on St. Michael or Refractions of Light wherever you buy your Catholic books. You've been listening to a special edition of the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that it has been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion, that as you walk this Lent with Mother Mary, that we might begin to listen to her messages and live them in our daily lives. Until next time, may God bless you and Mary pray for you always.